You're listening to episode 79 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. Baseball is a disaster, and we have no idea who can clean up the mess. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is technically episode 80, but last week's episode... Well, we had some technical difficulties and it just never made its way to the internet. So I don't know, Alex, if we want to call this episode 79 or episode 80, but I'm Tara. He's Alex. We're back to talk about the mess that is baseball right now. And maybe that is an appropriate situation for the number of the show. We can't even get that number right at this point, which feels pretty, pretty apropos. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a bummer because I think that was the best episode we've ever done. And if the public had been able to hear it, we may have solved this entire uh, crisis, I think. Cooler we would have changed the world yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We'd be all gearing up for baseball right now. We'll have to try to replicate that in this show. But I don't know, you, lightning striking twice, that, that whole thing. We'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, we have <laughs> plenty of news to deal with at this point. So it's not as if there's a shortage of things to talk about, which is uh, a, a different a different premise for this show than there has been in the last couple of months. We also have the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary featuring Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa that I think a lot of us were really looking forward to. Maybe it's just the absence of baseball in general that made it a little more exciting than normal, but that was also obviously a, a significant time in the fandom of a lot of people. Alex, were you able to watch the the documentary on Sunday night? Do you have any thoughts? I, I was planning on watching it and then I did not because my uh, in-laws were in town and, you know, it started like at eight and so it just wasn't a good time for me to step away and, and watch television. Um, I, I taped it, so I'm, I mean, do you even need to tape things anymore? I don't know. I, I did record it, uh, <laughs> I, so I have it available and I plan on watching it soon, but I have not watched it yet. I will note that I was glancing at my phone every so often while it was on. And my takeaway is that Cardinals fans uh, seemed to think it was fun uh, and you know entertaining. Mm-hmm. And Cubs fans, because I follow a lot of Cubs fans on Twitter, both Cubs fans and Cubs writers, hated it. Uh, which to me sounds like uh, whoever made the movie did their job. I'm I'm all in. I can't wait to watch it now. I they they sounds like they hit on all cylinders. So, it's interesting. I I was 10 when that season happened and I was living in Utah in an era before out of market games were easily accessible. So, I don't really have the same attachment to that summer as a lot of people who watched it a lot more closely. For me, I was trying to explain it the other day. It's kind of it's a piece of the history of the team that I follow and I know it because of of that impact, but I didn't have quite the same like personal emotional investment in the story. So, watching the documentary was interesting in kind of piecing together some of the details that maybe I had, you know, not been as aware of as a a 10 year old living in in Utah, where baseball was like not a thing people cared about. Um, But it also is interesting then to watch the the more dramatic reactions from people. And I think I kind of had maybe a a little bit of distance between me and the story. And about halfway through, I, I think I sent it to the birds on the black group chat and I just said, this is 100% a Mark McGuire documentary that Sammy Sosa also happens to be in a little bit. <laughs> and it was not even, like, it wasn't even subtle. And, uh, you know, the director started the the whole thing by saying he grew up near St. Louis and was a big Cardinals fan. So I don't think that helped the notion that, oh, this is a very Cardinals-centric story in the way that they're telling it, at least. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious I've talked to a couple of different people who felt very different about it. And one kind of response was that, well, that story really was like that summer was more about Mark McGuire. And then Sammy Sosa came on late in the season. It was like, Oh, there's a, there's another player here to, to focus on. So 
do you remember it being like, was it actually yeah. the Mark McGuire story that Sammy Sosa also happened to be part of? Was that an accurate representation of, of how that went that summer? Well, at first, um, th- this is what I remember. Uh, and just a little backdrop. I was 19 during the summer 98. This was my freshman and sophomore year at college. And I was super into it. I, I, I didn't watch a lot of the games because it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like it is now. You couldn't just tune into your MLB app and, and watch the right. game. Yeah. But what I did is I followed whatever ESPN or whatever. I, it may have even been CBS Sports, but there was some website where I followed their ticker during a game. Like we would, mm, I would yeah. be, we'd be having like a party or something, but my computer would be on and I'd go check it. And it's the only time I recall where I was actually more checking a, a player than I was the actual team. Uh, I went to a couple games that summer, including the game when Mark McGuire hit the uh, post-dispatch sign and they put a big Band-Aid over mm, it. Yeah. And they said it went 545 feet, but I think it, that has been uh, people like, you know, home run truthers actually said it went like 487. But regardless, it was a very exciting home run. Um, and what I will say about it, though, is that the Cardinals won that game uh, five to four, I believe they're playing the Marlins. But okay. the important thing, what was more important, is that McGuire hit a home run. If yeah. they had lost that game ten to one, but the one run was on McGuire's home run, then ninety five percent of the crowd, I felt like, would have left the park completely satisfied. <laughs> and, and like, and so that's just how it felt that summer, which is weird for Cardinals fans, right? You know, that's yeah. normally not how we are, but that's. That's certainly how it felt that summer. And a lot of that had to do with like the Cardinals weren't that great, you know, and they hadn't been great for a while. Um, but to answer, I just want to give that backdrop before I answer your question. So the way I remember it is at first it was all McGuire, um, not just because Sosa had a late start, but because of McGuire's 1997, where he just went crazy um, at the end with the Cardinals and hit like 24 home runs and I don't know how many games. Um, and this was after he was traded uh, at the deadline. Yeah. Which I think gave him like 58 on the season. So heading into 98, even before the season started, there was talk like, oh, McGuire could do this. Um, if anyone was going to do it, it'd be this guy. And then if I recall, he let off the first three or four games with a home run in each game. I don't know mm-hmm. if they covered that in the documentary. And so, yeah, he was immediately on pace to break the record. And then was it June when when, when Sammy hit yeah. 20? Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then after June, then Sosa joins the party, and then it's like, oh well, here we go. And then it seemed like it was back and forth, and they started doing a lot of comparisons to Maris and Mantle because those guys, although they're on the same team, had a similar thing going on the year Maris broke the record, and that they were kind of pushing each other and stuff like that. And you know, the Cubs were actually pretty decent that year, mm-hmm. and the Cards were just average. And so that kind of got play, especially when it came for MVP talk, um, which Sosa won, I think, largely because the Cubs were a better team, even though McGuire, if you look at the all-around stats, McGuire had the better season. Um, So, again, I didn't see the documentary. Um, It does sound like Sosa got shortchanged a little bit. (laughs) Um, But it also sounds like what you said, that there's a chance it was a McGuire documentary and they pivoted. Um, realizing like, you know, the more interesting story is McGuire and Sosa because they were so, they were so linked during that season and after. So I I think it's unfair to say that Sosa was just like along for the ride. He, McGuire was probably like the star, but Sosa was like 1A, right? You know, he wasn't like the Mm -hmm. supporting act. He was right there. Well, and I think there's a difference too, even in the, from the storytelling perspective, Look, however much you might have loved Mark McGuire as a player, he's not a particularly exciting interview. (laughs) He doesn't say anything that you're like, wow, that was really cool. I need more of that story. So Sosa kind of had the personality that complemented the the power and the skill of Mark McGuire that made it an interesting back and forth. I think maybe that was kind of the intention of this documentary. Personally, I, I don't think they pulled it off super well but Mm. i know a lot of people who think it was fantastic so that's just a a personal preference thing but i think that played into it as well that you know even if it was 
intended to be more of a Mark McGuire documentary, it might have been really boring if they didn't inject some of the Sammy Sosa personality into it. They interviewed McGuire. Are, are these current interviews with McGuire? Um, some of them are. Some okay. of them are, you know, back from that that summer. Um, but right. there are new interviews with both Sosa and McGuire. Interesting. Okay, because, yeah, you're right. I remember McGuire speaking kind of like very just baseball speak. Like yeah. a lot of like cliches, yeah. like, you know... Um, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was often getting bothered after games that they lost about right. <laughs> reporters asking about his home runs. And I think he eventually got sick of it and just was like, look, it only matters if the team, you know, won. But I also remember uh, a, a game, I think in August of that year at Bush Stadium. I, I remember because I went to one of these games, but it wasn't the game I went to. I was watching on television like the day before. They're playing the Cubs and Sosa gets walked. Um, and so he's at first base with McGuire and everyone was like, the announcers were going crazy um, because I think it was the first time that they had played in a while. So it was the first time that McGuire and Sosa were like standing right next to each other since this became like a huge thing. Mm, both yeah. of them. And like during whoever was up next for the Cubs during that whole at bat, they had like a split screen of just like <laughs> Sosa standing with McGuire at first base. Um, uh, you know, which is funny. Cause it's not like Sosa wasn't stealing or, you know, it was right. really just so like we could watch them standing by each other. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, yeah, it was, it was a huge deal. I, I don't know if I buy, and I'm curious what you think about this, but because, it, and this kind of plays into what's happening now is, you know, there's a lot of talk that, this brought baseball back, um, mm-hmm. you know, from the 94, 95 strike. And I, I don't have the numbers on this. Um, and I, I do know if I recall that the ratings were at least down in 1995 and 96. But, and, and the idea is that like, well, the ratings were down because fans were mad. Fans were mad at baseball, yeah. mm-hmm. um, mad at the players or, or whoever, or whoever, um, I don't know if that's the case. I feel like people who would actually get mad, like, and believe me, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who, I'm sure there's plenty of anecdotal evidence out there that says like, no, no, like my uncle, he hasn't watched baseball since the strike. I'm not, I'm not saying this didn't happen, but I'm saying to actually affect the numbers. I don't know if it was that big of a deal. Um, I think and I, I don't want to leave McGuire Sosa yet, but I think a lot of it, and what I'm learning now is probably a lot of it had to do with the fact that people learned they could live without baseball. And yeah. like, like right now we're learning to live without baseball. And guess what? My fandom is not increasing. It's doing the exact opposite. And it's not because I'm mad at the players, obviously. I mean, I'm mad at the owners, but I don't care about the owners. <laughs> I'm, I could be furious at the owners and I'm still going to watch baseball because the players are both the labor and the product. So I don't really care about the owners. Um, but I'm not excited right now to watch baseball, not because I'm mad at baseball, although I'm not pleased with it, but it's just because I've learned I can live without it and other things are filling my brain. Yeah. I, you know, you only have time for a certain amount of things and all right, baseball's out, so I'm, I'm thinking about other things right now. And I wonder if a lot of, you know, the bad ratings when baseball returned mostly had to do with the fact that it was returning to a population in which a lot of people had kind of moved on from baseball and it kind of just took a while for them to be like oh yeah this is back on i guess i'll make room for this again yeah and i i would be curious too if the ratings or the attendance or the popularity of baseball would have kind of naturally continued to increase once, you know, there were a couple seasons following the strike and people realized, oh, you know, actually I do like baseball. Oh, this is a thing that we can go do now. It kind of came back into the collective consciousness. But the Maguire-Sosa race obviously captured the attention of sports fans in general in a way that maybe catapulted that a little bit. But it is interesting to think about how baseball would have, you know, recovered from the 94 strike without that and would it have happened would it have happened more slowly would it never have you know regained that sort of popularity i did think that it was and maybe because this is sort of a a 
pet peeve of mine. I, I thought it was interesting how much this documentary focused on the superstars that Maguire and Sosa became that year and how they were basically household names. Whether you were a diehard baseball fan or not, they would sell out stadiums wherever they were playing, not because people came to see that team play, but because they came to see Sosa or Maguire in the home run chase. No, I was so, gonna, after McGuire broke the record, my mom called me. My mom could care less about this stuff. Yeah. But she yeah. she knew what was yeah, she was into it. She she knew what was happening. But so, it just it it emphasized to me how much how much potential there is for baseball to kind of create those sort of superstars because while there may not be that kind of race where they're chasing a record, right? There are some ridiculous athletes in this sport and they do ridiculous things that just don't always get the, those stories don't get told like they would if there was this back and forth like between McGuire and Sosa. So I, I just found myself wondering what would be a comparable attention grab in baseball today, as well as wondering, man, who is it going to be four years from now that's bringing baseball back from the brink when they finally figure out how to resolve this current mess that we're in? Well, so yeah, it was interesting to watch the documentary. I, I will say one last thing about it before we move on to, uh, you know, more depressing baseball <laughs> news. Um, they barely acknowledged the steroid conversation. And it was an interesting choice to me, and one that was intentional. The director said he wanted people to be able to watch this play out as it did in 98. But it feels a little bit to me disingenuous to then not dig into the context a little bit of what, steroids meant to that summer to that era to baseball how it impacted players and records and you know opinions going forward and maybe that's just too much content to try to fit into a two-hour window but it felt to me like they did a little bit of a disservice to the story as a whole by kind of just getting to the very end and going so steroids (laughs) and they were both like yep and that was kind of it. <laughs> so it felt a little bit weird to me to just not even go there. But again, it seems like that was intentional to kind of just relive that summer instead of contextualize it based on what we know now. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I haven't seen it. So it's hard for me to comment on on that part of it. That's That part certainly needs to be told, although... Um, it's not like that's a part of the story that no one is aware of. Like, wait, these right. guys, like there was a steroid controversy. <laughs> I didn't know about this. Uh, I, I, my, my opinions on this have, have changed. Um, but I guess there are, you know, I say that as someone who lived through it and there are certainly people watching it who perhaps did not um, or, or were too young. So yeah, I, that, that is certainly, uh, I can't, as part of the story, it's so hard, especially with uh, it, it's a hard story to tell for a couple of reasons. One of which being, in our heart of hearts, we'll never know exactly how many home runs those guys would have had right. with or without steroids. Um, maybe it's a crazy number, uh, like in the fifties, meaning you know they added you know fifteen to twenty home runs with steroids, mm-hmm. or maybe they were playing with a juice ball as we think can happen <laughs> and they would have had the exact same amount of home runs. Um, yeah. you know, so, um, I've never totally bought into that argument that like, well, even if you're on steroids, you still have to hit the ball. Like, yeah, of course. Like we all acknowledge that. Like if I took steroids, I would not be in the major league. <laughs> but if you already possess those skills, it's certainly something that, that can enhance your performance that will enhance can turn your performance. A, can turn a couple fly ball outs into home runs. Yeah, absolutely. Or, <laughs> or, or or take a few days in like the dog days of August in which you'd rather be on the bench and you're playing because you feel pretty right. good. Um, yeah. And, and I'm not even, that's not even commentary on the whole ethics of the situation because, um, you know, performance enhancing drugs are kind of a tricky situation, but Right. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've never, I've kind of always rolled my eyes at like, well, you still have to hit the ball. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. I, we all, we all agree on with that. No one, no I'm pretty one sure there that. was a line from Mark McGuire in this, oh, this no. documentary oh, yeah. where he said something about, 
I didn't need them. I could have done it without steroids. Well, and, and maybe oh, he absolutely, okay. <laughs> I think he absolutely could have in terms of like, I'm not saying it necessarily made him a better hitter, but it, right. but it made him maybe a better hitter longer or it gave him more. If it, you know what if I mean? it had, if it had no impact, guys yeah. wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's a, so it's a it had some impact especially back then when, <laughs> right. when they were a huge, like, you know, that wasn't, too far away from like the Ben Johnson at the Olympics in 88. And that was such a big deal. Um, you know, this is only 10 years later. Steroids were still like yeah. uh, a buzzword for something that was very not good when it came to sports. Um, going back to the thing you asked earlier about like what could happen today to rival that. Is there a number anymore that yeah. quite has the public's imagination like 62 home runs? Like the, do people clamor for 74? That just seems like such an absurd number of home runs. <laughs> it really um, does. That- it's interesting when the game has changed so much and, and there are so many guys who, who hit, I don't want to say more home runs, but you know, the, the three true outcomes thing, you, you feel like you see more home runs that it shouldn't be that far fetched, but it's, you know, pitchers are better and, and the game is different and, and all those things. But yeah, I don't know what whether it would be home runs that would capture that attention or if it would be something else. But I think whatever it is, I think the reality is baseball fans, by by nature of the way the sport works, love that numbers chase, right? Whether it's a batting title or it's chasing a record for strikeouts or if it's, you know, somebody like um, even Adam Wainwright, you know, you see him moving up the list of innings pitched or the number of innings with being caught by Yadier Molina, like all those things are are significant to baseball fans. So I don't know what that particular stat would be because there's so many people now that almost disregard more of those counting stats <laughs> in favor of things that are a little more telling as a whole. So I don't know what that number would be. I don't. Um, at I don't this point either. in baseball. It's funny because I remember in '88 when we all went crazy. Uh, I mean. It wasn't quite everyone following. It wasn't close, let me be clear, to everyone following what was happening in 1998. But in 88, everyone was going crazy about Jose Canseco being the first guy to get 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases. Mm, um, yeah. And now that seems like such a, like, who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> it seems like like not a big deal at all. Um uh, Why do you think that is? Why I, isn't it I, as significant now? You know, I don't know. I really don't. Um, I think, uh, hmm. I don't want to be annoying and say like uh, baseball fans care about different things uh, and largely largely due to analytics because I think analytics are great for baseball. So I don't want to come off as that. But there, but certainly we don't concentrate, and I think this is even true for younger people. We don't quite concentrate on the traditional base back of a baseball card stats quite like we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, now the all time home run record in a season certainly would transcend that. I would think, I mean um, that would, I would hope would grab anyone's attention, but yeah, it doesn't seem like 73 has quite the mystique to it that 62 did, even though, yeah. or, or that 61 did, even though it dwarfs that number. Um, do you think there's anything to the fact that those numbers are kind of steeped in this yeah. sort of asterisk of the steroid era that I, people are like, yeah, it's cool, but... I sort of do. Um, I, I think people, and not everyone, but I think some people look at it as a farce. I think there's confusion about like what yeah. is... I, was gonna uh, say, I just feel like maybe people don't know what to make of it. <laughs> right. I don't know how they feel about it. Right. And it's kind of funny because when, when Maris broke the home run record, there was a controversy then too, mm-hmm. because he did it with a 162 game uh, schedule right. um, season. And whereas Ruth 60 was with 154 games and, and, you know, Maris didn't do it in 154 games. It took him 162 games. So, like, there yeah. was a mini controversy then, but certainly it didn't take long for that to be the number. Um, and, right. no, and no one really cared about, you know, 154, 162. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and believe me, this will never happen, or at least not 
anytime soon. But if like a guy made a run at like 400, uh, mm. yeah. Well, I mean, would we care? I mean, no, we would definitely care. But would it? Would we care like we would have in 1992? I, I don't. I, I think, just don't know. I think we would care. I'm not sure the country as a whole would be captivated by it like they were. And that's that is the thing about home runs is that it you don't have to understand anything else about baseball <laughs> to understand home runs, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the easiest thing for people to get excited about. It's the easiest thing for casual fans or people who don't really care about baseball at all to see. And if you realize, oh, no one's ever done this before, no one's ever hit this many home runs in a single season before. Like it's a really digestible record <laughs> to try to keep track of. Yeah. So maybe that makes it a little more um, intriguing to more people. But I think, you know, people like you and I would, would look at, you know, somebody chasing 400 and be like, this should not be possible in the way that baseball is played these days. So we would be fascinated by it, but I don't know that it would capture national attention like a home run race would. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it would be nice if baseball, though, could get back to kind of, uh, y- you know, <sighs> it can be kind of annoying because, like, you don't want to, like, over-romanticize baseball. But yeah. it, it would be nice if it could kind of get back to that sweet spot of where it did have more of a hold on culture than it does now. I don't know. Yeah. And that's an interesting conversation to itself. You know, how do you create that? And I don't think it happens by accident, right? The way that the NBA is part of pop culture these days didn't happen by accident. And, you know, you have to be smart about choices that you make. And one of those choices is actually playing baseball (laughs) and not, you know, alienating fans and players and agents and coaches and entire communities in the process, which seems to be what the Major League Baseball owners and the commissioner's office are opting for in this current climate. So maybe it's a good place to switch over and talk about that for a few minutes. And Alex and I talked a little bit beforehand. And look, if you're listening to this, you know, most of what's gone down in the last several months, you know, that in the last week, Rob Manfred went from saying 100%, there will be a season this year to a few days later saying, I'm not sure we're even going to play baseball at all this year. And in the meantime, what happened was the players basically calling their bluff and saying, okay, we're not going to counter offer anything because you already know where we stand. We already know where you stand. You have the right to set the season schedule. So just tell us when to show up. And that's created a whole, a whole litany of complicated issues based on the March agreement, based on what major league baseball wants the schedule to be. As of today, there are owners who are apparently not even interested in having a season altogether. Plus there are still health and safety concerns. So it's just such a mess that's played out very publicly and very aggressively between Major League Baseball, and the Players Association. Alex, I know we've both made pretty clear that we're on the side of the players in this general discussion, although you know that doesn't mean there isn't fault in maybe some of their approach to this as well in the way that they've gone about things. It, that's, that's a whole different discussion. The players are the ones trying to get back on the field, and the owners keep throwing up roadblocks to do that for whatever those reasons might be. I don't personally want to dive down that rabbit hole right now because we've talked about it so much ad nauseum over the last three months. And it just is becoming more and more obvious that, well, the the divide has not lessened any. But my question for you is, what happens to baseball because of 2020? I mean, we saw the result of, of the 94 strike. This is a very different scenario, but... It's almost worse in the sense that the there's so much broken trust. There's so much disrespect between the two sides of this ongoing battle that I don't know how you repair that. And we're looking at a CBA agreement coming up. You know, even if you get players back on the field, whether it's for 48 games this summer or if it's not till next year, do we feel the same way about baseball when it comes back? Hmm. Do you feel the same way about baseball when it comes back? Um, it, it's going to depend on how it comes back and when it comes back. Uh, I have a couple of meandering thoughts here. One, I've, I've 
seen and heard a lot of people say like baseball looks terrible right now, especially when compared to like the NBA, blah, blah. Let's be clear about one thing. The NBA has not played a game yet either. And it's not for sure they, <laughs> yeah. that they will. And that, and they're going through their own yeah, weird and, tension and controversy. <laughs> yeah, and that's the same for the NFL, college football, uh, whatever. Like, this is a very weird time. And until we actually see a jump ball, a kickoff, you know, a first pitch, don't count on any sport coming back uh, because there's just so many hoops to jump through just to make this work. Uh, that said, um, it, it's kind of weird. I, I retweeted someone today who basically said, it's funny seeing the owners um, moving towards the right decision, which is not to play, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, and, and I essentially yeah. agree with that. Like, I don't, it, it's kind of weird for me because I don't necessarily think they should be playing. Um, but I want to, but I'm still on the side of the players who clearly want to play more than the owners do. Um, if I thought the owners wanted to play, wanted to just halt this season for the right reasons, um, then I would look at them differently. But clearly, the fact that you know they're only shenanigans with, you know, they only want to play like a 48 game season. So like you know whatever they're whatever they're. Pritchard scales are telling them like, you know, in terms of the prorated stuff, that's the best way to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, make the most money in this weird situation um, or whatever. They, I don't trust the owners. Um, I don't think, and the good, th- the good news is I don't think anyone does anymore. I, I think <laughs> no. whatever the percentage was in 94, 95, and I, I could end up being dead wrong in this because I live in a bubble of, uh, woke baseball fans who who are right in terms of seeing the owners for what they are, um, and maybe I need to step out of that bubble. But I believe that whatever the numbers were in ninety four ninety five in terms of people who the the people who blame the players, and it seemed to me a majority of the public, I think that's going to be flip flopped this time, and that they're going to blame the owners, and they should. Mm, and, yeah. and Manfred either needs to get lost. Or he needs to be a commissioner, get them all in the room and say, like, we need to look at what we're up against now. We need to look at how bad this looks and, you know, how bad this could be for our bottom line going forward. That's how you talk to a bunch of owners. Just convince them that they are going to lose money down the road and they and you might get their attention. Um, not- it's so crazy to me that they can't figure that out on their own. Like... The short-sightedness of baseball and its owners is mind-boggling to me when you're looking at a group of people who are supposed to be, like, capable businessmen. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I I am all, always baffled by how, when we're talking about, like, yeah, you said capable businessmen, people who get to a certain level, um, uh, whether it's wealth or whatever, who all of a sudden don't understand what goodwill is and don't understand mm, that goodwill yeah. equals money a lot of times. Um, and the lack of goodwill um, does the opposite. Uh, you know, right. so, yeah, I don't... Like I said earlier, I, I'm not mad at... I'm not necessarily mad at baseball, but it's going to be weird trying to get back into it when it does come back just because I it's like interrupted my continuum of, of my enjoyment of the sport. Like I, all I'm thinking about is all these like lost seasons for players who really are going to need this. Um, whether it's just for silly stats reasons, um, you know, because that's what we, the fans like to follow, or if it's like, you know, a season of their prime and that's going to affect the next time they're trying to, you know, negotiate a contract, uh, so I don't know what I'm going to think of baseball. I mean, obviously, I hope what I hope is when it finally does come back, I'm going to be so excited just because we've been without it for so long and that I will be more into it than ever. But it doesn't feel that way for me right now. I'm, yeah. What do you think? I, I'm in the same boat. I think it's hard to look at baseball through the same lens as I did, you know, 
six months ago, last summer, you know, in, in 2011, when you're reveling in the, the World Series win, that sort of thing. There is, as you mentioned earlier, sort of the romance of the the fandom of this sport. And that's what everybody wants it to be. And And that may be a bit naive to think that that's what it's always going to be. But it just has been so messy. And it's been so frustrating. And it's, it's almost like, the i don't know you you just can't get away from how bad the 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 overall packaging has been of this conversation and you know when you have some of the best athletes in the sport on twitter saying oh maybe i should try taking up another sport like that's not a good look for uh, a business where your employees are even joking about jumping ship for a different business. Like it, it just, it's an interesting element when you add in the platform that all these players have and the fact that they're utilizing it this time around as a, as, uh, as opposed to the 94 strike. But I think all that does is emphasize how bad this situation is and how much it's been messed up from the top down, really. And look, wherever you land, as far as what players should concede or what they, are able to concede based on their income versus mine. It's still their livelihood that we're talking about. And the people at the top are the ones who are controlling what does or doesn't happen with the sport moving forward. And that includes what happens on a health and safety front when, you know, they're suddenly leaking the fact that some players and coaches have tested positive for COVID-19. Well, where'd that come from? Just conveniently let that out of the bag when, uh, when they were in the midst of this bad news Monday. And it just seems like there's, I don't know, I guess for me, what's most frustrating looking at this is knowing how much I love the game of baseball and how significant it's been in, in so many moments where I've been able to share that with other people. And then seeing the people in control of this game act like they not only don't love baseball, but like they pretty much don't want to be around it at all. <laughs> and it's it's very frustrating to then look at this game, even if it does come back, and not feel like, well, they did this only because their option was dealing with a grievance from the Players Association that they knew they wouldn't win. And that's not a great... It just doesn't leave a great taste in your mouth. Plus, if there is no season in 2020, I think to your point, we're... We're not going to keep talking about baseball all summer like it's a thing that is just around the corner. We're going to have to take a break from it because everyone else is taking a break from it. And there's only so much you can do to go back and and look at the history of the game or talk about old games or old World Series champions or whatever before you realize we're talking about this because there's nothing current to say. And that just sort of confirms the bad feelings (laughs) about the state of baseball. So I don't know. I, I... I think that the relations between the owners and the players are bad enough that I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you fix it at all without changing personnel, whether that's Rob Manfred, who's employed by the owners. So as long as they're he's doing what they're telling him to do, that's not going to happen. Or if there's a some turnover even in the Players Association and how they do what they do in trying to rebuild any sort of communication ahead of the the new CBA and onward, because it just feels like they're at an impasse that can't be resolved unless someone takes a first step and no one's going to do that right now. So I don't know how you fix it. I don't know what you do unless you just blow the whole thing up and start over. And that sounds also terrible. (laughs) Yeah. A a part of me thinks it's like really, uh, a big part of me thinks it's really good that like the owners seem to be really caught off guard with how, by how the yeah. players have handled this. Um, the only part of me that doesn't think that that's good is uh, me worried that the owners aren't going to give an inch and this is just going to turn into an awful stalemate and it's gonna, we're going to go a really long time without baseball because it's very hard for me to imagine owners uh, changing. Like, um, you know, yeah. we like baseball in spite of the owners. I, I remember one time in college, <laughs> I took this, I was in this theology class and I, I'm not going to bring up what we were talking about, but uh, the issue we were talking about at least, but 
the subject of the Pope was was something we were talking about and with regard to an issue and someone said well i can't wait for uh it was pope john paul i guess would have been the pope at the time i said some of the effect of i can't wait for him to basically die so we can get a new pope <laughs> and i remember thinking well i have bad news for you about the new pope <laughs> he's, yeah he's not going to be any different from this pope <laughs> with regard to what we're talking about um and I feel like that's kind of how it always is with the owners. We always know how they're going to be. Um, and so we have to hope that you just have to find a way to work around that. Like, and um, yeah, if the players union can outmaneuver them, then awesome. I, and I hope that happens. Um, and I also hope that the fact that I love baseball, inspire the owners and always have means that when baseball does return, um, I will be able to return very easily with it because, you know, I'm here for the players. Yeah. Yeah. My, my last thought about this, and then we can move on to the trip of the week, which hopefully is a little more uh, encouraging or, yeah, not really. you know, light than, okay, well, you know, <laughs> we'll just stick with this trend. It's, it's how baseball is right now. Uh, but my, my last thought is, you know, I remember when, the shutdown of spring training happened. And within a, a couple of weeks, there were a lot of people talking about, we were talking about it. I remember Dan McLaughlin talking about the fact that, man, it's going to be so powerful that first game back because everyone's going to feel like we survived this really terrible, really scary, really earth shattering thing. And now we're able to get back and be there together and participate in this other thing that has been such a joy and such a light to so many people. And I was thinking about it today. There was such an anticipation for that game, right? Whatever that game was, when there was baseball, again, at Bush Stadium or any other stadium around the country, it was going to be this like overwhelming joy. I honestly don't know that I would feel that way even remotely if baseball does happen in 2020 at this point, maybe, maybe once it's on the schedule and it's actually happening and we get to that day, maybe my, my emotions would change, but this has altered so much about how I just am emotionally detached from the whole thing. And maybe it's because there've been multiple other sort of tragic events since then, or, you know, earth shaking events since then, that it doesn't feel like we're still dealing with the same single issue that shut down baseball in the first place. But I don't know. I, I just, that's, I guess, the short answer to this question, how will I feel about baseball, is that I don't really know, but I don't think I'm going to feel like I expected to when the shutdown happened. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Like, like I, I was reminded today that Marcelo Zuna plays for the Braves. Um, you, you know, there's so many things that seem uh, to have happened eons ago that I've just yeah. forgotten about. I'm going to have to, like, take a refresher course in all things yeah. baseball once it does return. Because, like, and I think I mentioned this last week in our episode that got erased, but just trying to keep up with, like, the all right, this is what the owners are saying today. And this is what, the, it's just so exhausting. Yeah. Like after mm -hmm. a while, and I understand how important this fight is, but after a while, I'm just like, I cannot read another article about the financials of this stuff just because it's just exhausting. I don't know what yeah. else to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not great. No. It's not great. And uh, that is the, the cheery way that we'll segue <laughs> into uh, the trip of the week. So, Alex, take it away. Okay. So, you mentioned earlier that because we might not have baseball in 2020, we're going to miss out on like certain things like, say, Wainwright moving up in the all-time, uh, what would you say, like innings pitch and like, you know, yeah. his battery mate stats with Yachty. And, you know, that really is a shame. Uh Mm -hmm. this could have been the last, not only the last year for Wainwright, but it's kind of the last year I at least could have imagined him being a serviceable starting pitcher. Um, right. And that's not a slide on Wainwright. He's just, I mean, he's old. <laughs> he's, he's father time is, is certainly <laughs> undefeated. Uh, that is a true thing. Um, so, and, and that, that makes me sad. And, you know, there's so many stories in baseball throughout baseball history where things like this happen. Um, 
if you think about like the guys way back in the day who would go and serve in war, you know, like in World War II, like Ted yeah. Williams missed out on three full seasons because of World War II. And had he not missed out on those seasons, he would have most certainly ended up with more than 3,000 hits and possibly 600 and definitely 600 home runs. Um, and as you can guess, that's a pretty exclusive company. Uh, Bob Feller, same thing, missed out on three full years because of uh, because of the war. Um, he would have finished with probably more than uh, 3,000 strikeouts and 300 wins. Uh, who else? Like our own Stan Musial missed a, a year because of the war. He mm-hmm. may have been able to hit 500 home runs. He may have been able uh, – he may today have been third all-time in hits. Um, instead, he's fourth. Uh, you know, so just like little things like that, it impacts. And – the same thing is true for the 94-95 strike. Uh, you know, the people we ju- I just mentioned, you know, we don't need to feel sorry for them. <laughs> they had very awesome careers and are recognized as such. Um, right. <laughs> but you think about the 94-95 strike, that almost cost Larry Walker the Hall of Fame uh, just because he didn't quite have uh, those compiled mm. stats that yeah. he may have had had he not missed out on all those plate appearances uh, that the strike cost him. Uh, luckily, he finally got in. Uh, and I bring all this up because I'm thinking about our old friend Albert Pujols, who right now sits with 656 home runs, which is sixth all time, which in and of itself is an awesome feat. He's, uh, he's also one of the few guys with more than 600 home runs and 3,000 hits. Um, as I, as I mentioned earlier, Ted Williams would have joined that club had it not been for the war. Um, but because we might not have baseball this year, and because, as we know, Pujols is, what, 39 years old, he very likely is, is missing out on his chance to reach 700 home runs. Um, a, a club that only counts Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Babe Ruth as members. Uh, and you know, that just kind of makes me sad because I think, I think just how cool it would have been for him to be in that circle. Um, because that's a circle you can't like fake your way into, (laughs) you know, like, like there's (laughs) those names, Bonds, Aaron, Ruth, like that is, there's nothing (laughs) fluky about that. And, uh, Pujols has two years left, including this season on his current contract with the angels. Um, and let's say they don't play baseball this year. Um, I mean, I don't know, Tara. I don't think he has 44 home runs left in him, even if he is able to sign a contract and play for another year in 2000 and what? I guess it would be 22. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to imagine him being able to, uh, to get up there, and, and, that, and that's a shame. Now, in a perfect world, uh, somehow he will uh, – swat a bunch more home runs with the angels and finish his contract there. I know he has that personal service contract, whatever that lasts Mm, a lifetime with them, but who knows, maybe they can somehow ship him over the Cardinals for the 2020. Who even knows what that is? Does no one even know? I have no idea what it is. I'd like to sign one probably, but I I don't know what it is. Uh, I will, I will sign a personal service contract with any team if they want to pay me that kind of money to do it. Just putting that out there. Right. But maybe in a perfect world, they could ship him over the Cardinals for 2022 and he could hit number <laughs> yeah. 700 uh, while wearing uh, our nice uniform. Um, and that's basically your trip of the week. And, and looking at this, it reminded me that like when I was collecting baseball cards um, and was really interested in, in these stats growing up, it was always you know, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, and Willie Mays were the, were the three big home run hitters. And the next closest was like Frank Robinson. And he was 74 home runs below Willie Mays. Uh, well, since then, you know, we've had Bonds, uh, A-Rod, uh, Pujols, Griffey, Sosa, Jim Tomey, Mark McGuire. All these guys um, have entered the top 12 home run list. And this is all within like the last 20 years. So we mm. have witnessed so much history in the last 20 years of, as baseball fans, just so many contemporary players just basically crashing this all-time home run list party. And that's, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, and it's something to always keep in mind. You know, we always talk about, uh, you know, the good old days of baseball. Um, and this, this current time, notwithstanding, <laughs> uh, the, the, the golden age of baseball really has been uh, right now. Like, you know, we are living yeah. through it. And that, yeah. that is a 
very cool thing. So that is your trip of the week. Come on, Albert. Somehow we got to get him the seven hundred home runs because I like it. Um, if if there's anything good left in baseball, that should be able to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Hey, quick question. I don't know how many weeks ago it was. Now we talked about the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Oh. Keith Hernandez. Did you ever find out about the gold glove conundrum? My gosh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I keep forgetting several updates. So our friend Daniel <laughs> Shopta. All right. So the conundrum was this. Keith Hernandez won uh, a bunch of gold gloves at first base. And I wasn't sure if his 1983 gold glove counted for the Cardinals or if it counted for the Mets. Right. Um, because he got traded uh, midway through that year, but he still won the gold glove. Uh, Shoptal hit me up and said he remembered, he just happened to remember from George Will's book, uh, Men at Work, uh, which is a book I read a while ago, um, but I, but I, it was so long ago I didn't remember this part, where they actually talk about this. And I guess somewhere in the Cardinals record books, it shows them as having um, such and such and a half number of gold gloves. And someone oh. said, well, how can a franchise have, you know, uh, whatever it is, 0. 0.5 gold, gold gloves. And the answer is Keith Hernandez. And it's because he got traded halfway through the 83 season. Uh, so thank you. you uh, much that guy. Yeah. Always, always coming yes, up. Clutch. Yes. Very. And thank you for reminding me. I, I did not want to forget to uh, mention that. That also reminds me, do you remember, I don't remember why I was talking about this, but some, for some reason I was talking about Cardinals and the designated hitter. And I mentioned yes. that, so Taguchi has a career uh, as a Cardinal batted a thousand as a designated hitter with two plate. Appearances. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I said, I was going to look up who had the most plate appearances while batting a thousand uh-huh. uh, as a designated hitter. Do you want to know who it is? I do. So Taguchi. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now, there were two other people I think tied with him and I can't think of them off the top of my head, but uh, so Taguchi, uh, you know, he, he's number one in my book. So who cares about the other two guys? There you go. Yeah. I, I love me some Sotiguchi. There you go. We got got a chirp of the week and two bonus updates. That's uh, last week's show that will never air might have been the best ever, but I think that we just made up for it. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the state of baseball, guys. It's It's not good. It's not fun. It's not giving us any sort of reprieve from other difficult and complicated things in life but maybe someday and i would love to know how you're gonna feel about baseball when it returns after all of this mess so let us know i'm on twitter at tara wellman he's at alexcard79 you can follow birds on the black at birds on the black and if you're listening to this you've already found the birds on the black podcast so make sure you just keep following that for everything that comes out of the birds on the black team whether there's baseball or not So I think that does it for now. I'm Sarah. He's Alex. We'll talk to you next time.